This is an Emmaus Church podcast. For more information about Emmaus Church, please visit EmmausDenver.com. Let me open us with uh, some prayer. Heavenly Father, um, I thank you that your word uh, convicts. Thank you that your spirit stirs our hearts to recognize our need for you. Lord, I um, just want to confess that speaking about speaking, I feel inadequate and I need your help um, to present your words from scripture clearly. Um, I cannot tame even my own tongue. Um, So I pray that your spirit would work in a supernatural way just to give us a real sense of what you are trying to say to us this morning. Pray that you would soften our hearts and Lord, if... um, if you're convicting us, that we would be encouraged to come to the foot of the cross and say, Lord Jesus, you had the perfect words in every way, shape, and form. Lord Jesus, you are the word made flesh. Lord, you are wisdom in person, and we worship you, and yet you took the punishment for us, Lord, so that we could approach God with our unclean mouths. We could approach him not just timidly, but as sons and daughters, we could approach him boldly. So I thank you for that reality, for who you are and where you're, what you're doing in our lives, Lord. Amen. Yeah, so this morning, uh, we're going to talk about talking a little bit. I feel like I should like pitch this way, um, but it's, <laughs> I'll, uh, yeah, I'm going to make uh, <laughs> the, the, like, the desire to have equal eye contact. It's going to be a tough one this morning. Um, so we're just, going to, we're just going to roll with it. If I'm staring you down for a long period of time, know that I'm already lost while I'm up here. Um, our, in our series on James, we're, uh, we're, as we walk through the book of James, we're, we're calling this series Somewhere to Land. And you know, I kind of say this almost every time we start, but the people who are involved, uh, James is writing to most likely, and we don't know all the details of this, but most likely they were just ripped out of house and home and put somewhere where they probably don't know the language, they don't know the culture, and they were, they were put in, in uh, I mean, all over the Roman Empire. And there's, even if James isn't speaking directly to this particular historical context, we know that the dispersion, we know that that was something that did happen to Jewish Christians uh, uh, in in the early church. So this is a a scenario that's a real scenario. And even if we were to spiritualize some of the things that James is saying, the the reality is that you and I uh, are not truly home. All of us that look forward to the hope set before us, and even the things we're saying about mothers, we look forward to the day where there's a new creation, where, where there's a home where every tear is wiped away, where, where there is stability because we're in the presence of God and we see him and know him for who he truly is. And so in a sense, we're, we're dispersed. There is a sense in which we're, we're dealing with sort of the turbulence of time because we haven't landed, we're not home. And so James is a good pastor and he's writing to this group that are probably physically pulled from their homes, but for the benefit of the whole church and saying, look, I want you to have a place to land. I want you to have a measure of stability in an unstable world. And we spent the first part of James really just emphasizing how the only thing that doesn't change, the only ground that we can stand on is God himself. God himself. 
the, the, the father of lights in whom there's no shadow due to change. And, and the beauty of this is he's not just off somewhere that we have to find him and, and fumble around in the dark. He's revealed himself in his word. So he's given us his word. He's revealed his character to us so that when all the chaos of the things going on, you and I can have somewhere to land, somewhere to rest. And this morning, James is sort of giving us a topic that's almost like an indicator of what we're resting in or where we're resting. Um, I'll phrase it another way. He's, he's, give, he's saying, look, if I've, if I've told you that this is where stability is found in God and his word, how do we like know that that's where I'm actually resting? It, the, the heart is deceitful. We're, we're actually really good at deceiving ourselves. And God's word is coming to us and saying, I want to open the door to your heart so that you can see what's going on, so you can see what you truly believe, what you truly think, where you're really resting. And the way to understand that is through the tongue. I want to start with what Jesus says in Matthew 12. We're going to look at a handful of different things. But sometimes when things are hard to hear, for me at least, it's nice when Jesus says kind of the exact same thing. You're like, well, Jesus said that, you know. <laughs> going to have to like, going to have to wrestle with that a little bit because it came straight from his mouth. Uh, Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 33, Jesus says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. The tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, he's talking to the Pharisees. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of your heart, the mouth speaks. The good person, out of his good treasure, brings forth good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, brings forth evil. Look at what Jesus says in verse 36. He says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. It's a scary thing to read for an extroverted person. Or, I mean, James says not many of you should become teachers. Uh, I talk too much, and then I get up here to talk. But serious, just look what Jesus says, by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. Those are some weighty words. And we're going to circle back to that a little bit, but jump back into James. We're going to talk first a little bit about the tongue's power. Touch on what Jesus said. The tongue's power the tongue has power to justify or condemn and to control the whole body. To justify or condemn and to control the whole body. Look at what James says in chapter three, verse one. He knows the tongue's power. He, he's, he's spending quite a bit. You could actually take this all the way to, into chapter four. He talks about not speaking evil against one another. So it's kind of a large section about what we have to say. 
And he starts it by saying, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. I mean, think about that. It's consistent with what Jesus just said. If, if your words are gonna be the thing that ultimately reveals what's going on in the heart, if your words are gonna justify or condemn you on that last day, it's a scary thing to give more words. It is. And he says, verse two, we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. He's like, if you're able, it's like starts with the warning, like be careful for what you have to say. It will be revealed. If you're a teacher, it's gonna be more difficult for you because the words you say are gonna affect other people in a way that's gonna impact them for better or for worse. You'll be judged more strictly. But he gives us this little interesting phrase where he says, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. That's a big statement. I mean, think of the ways we desire for God to transform and change who we are. Whether it's self-control, whether it's discipline, joy, worship, how we draw near to him. Our, our work ethic, you know, what, we, we all kind of probably have a list of things where we love for the Lord to just like wave a wand and make us this, you know? And James goes straight to the tongue and says, you know how powerful the tongue is? Not only is what you say gonna be revealed in the last day, but if you're able to control that, you're complete. Like you've, you've nailed it. Like that's how much power your tongue has. As it, as it lends towards your heart being drawn towards or away from God. That's how much power your tongue has as you're transformed into the image of God. The tongue is a powerful instrument. This is why James spends so much time on this. This is why this is an indicator of where our hearts are and if we're actually landing on the word of God and the, and the person of God. He goes on to give us a little analogy, just in case we don't believe him. He's like, if we put bits into the mouth of horses so that they will obey us, we guide the whole bodies as well. It's kind of a rough analogy, but it's an appropriate one. I mean, horses are scary to me. I don't like them. I've been on them like once. And any animal that's like bigger than me and can crush me, I'm just not a fan. Like that's, if, you're, if you fit in that box, like if you're a horse, you're an elephant, a bear, you're larger than me and just don't want to be around you. <laughs> but yeah, you, they're, they're, I mean, we just had the Kentucky Derby. They're, they're huge, muscular animals that can completely overpower you and you put the bit in their mouth and do exactly what you want them to do. I mean, if they're... Look at the ships also. Though they're so large and are driven by strong winds, they're guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. 
And here's his point, verse five. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. If you're able to bridle the tongue, everything else will just come along with it is what he's saying. It's a powerful instrument. And I think he's sort of hinting at the problem here when he says it boasts of great things. Because it's, it's a, I think it's a little bit of both. It's a little bit like, look, it's, it's a powerful instrument. It steers everything. It has like an important role. But also it's like you open your mouth and the things you say are inherently prideful. Inherently working against the glory and majesty and honor of God. And that sort of goes into the, the not just the tongue's power, whether to justify or to control the whole body, but the problem with the tongue. Here, here, as powerful as this instrument is, as important as for the things that we say, there's like an, I can feel it in the room. We all sort of sense that there's a, there's a problem there. And that's what he's talking about in the next section. He says, how, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. That's not a, that's not a positive illustration. It's just a small fire can burn down a whole bunch of things. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life. The problem with the tongue is it can't be tamed. It's so powerful it's so meaningful for revealing what's going on in here to the point where Jesus can say your words will tell you if you are righteous or unrighteous. It has the power to or to justify, but it can't be tamed. He says it's set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird or of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. There is so much about our speech and about our <laughs> words in the book of Proverbs that we could spend like the next year just like reviewing that topic if we wanted to. Like it's a ton of it, it's in there. I wanted to hit on a couple of things though. I'm gonna look at Proverbs chapter eight. We're, we're kind of sitting on this idea that the tongue has a problem. It's very powerful. It controls the entirety of our being. It affects the entirety of our being. It's someday going to be used to reveal God's work in us or not. And I think Proverbs does a good job of just kind of highlighting a little bit of the problem. Chapter 8, you know, starting in verse 6. This is wisdom speaking right here. This is interesting. Paul says that Jesus is the wisdom of God. And, and we kind of have a, a personification of wisdom in the book of Proverbs speaking to us 
about how wisdom was with God. How, how wisdom is, uh, it, it, it was before the foundation of the world. And it was there with God. And it, it's very much uh, reminding us of the second person of the Trinity, Son, who, who Paul calls wisdom. So in a sense, it's a personification of, of an idea that's also teaching us a little bit about who Jesus is. In verse six says here, for I will speak noble things and from my lips will come what is right. For my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteousness. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. All the words, all the, this is, this is something that Jesus can say honestly. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There's nothing twisted or crooked in them. Jesus truly tamed the tongue and was perfect. All of his words, all of his words reflect the beauty and the glory and the character of the creator. Nothing, nothing crooked. Proverbs is encouraging us with that picture of wisdom. But then it goes on in chapter 10 to highlight, I'm just gonna do a handful of little smatterings here just to give us an issue of the, the problem of the tongue. Here's the problem of the tongue. Chapter, eight, uh, chapter 10, verse six says, blessings are on the head of the righteous. The right, they're known for, for blessings, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. The mouth of the wicked conceals violence. I think that's an interesting way to say it because how many times do we feel like saying something but we don't let it out? And then we pat ourselves on the back for that. You know, like, man, I hate that person, but I didn't say anything. And we feel, we like feel good about that. Jesus actually says, if we say you fool in our hearts, we're liable to the hellfire. Like, an expression of our hearts, even though there was a little bit of self-control not letting it out, it's there, it's coming out, it wants to come out. Blessings are on the head of the righteous, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Verse eight, the wise of heart will receive commandments, but a babbling fool will come to ruin. I mean, it's easy, this is the fun thing about the Proverbs, like, you know, I'm not a bad fool, Right? But then God's word comes to me and says, this is what I require of you. And we're hesitant to accept that. What's the parallel here? There's a problem with our tongues. Verse 10, whoever winks the eye causes trouble, but a babbling fool will come to ruin. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. So conceals violence actually comes up a handful of times in this passage. Think about that. We consider our tongue bridled if we shut our mouth. The parallel here is the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. Jesus didn't just like hold it in when he was annoyed. He was a fountain of life. His words brought joy, brought peace, brought the character of God to those around him. 
Verse 14, wise lay up knowledge, but the mouth of the fool brings ruin near. 18, again, the one who conceals hatred has lying lips and whoever utters slander is a fool. When the words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lip is prudent. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver. The heart of the wicked is of little worth. I like this in verse 21. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of sense. I hope you get a sense of the problem of our tongues. <laughs> like this is what God is calling us to be. This is what the Spirit is working inside of us to honor him with. That our lips, our words feed many. The introverts can take that one to heart. <laughs> I'm gonna to jump to Ephesians 4.29. I think it's a good summary of what God is requiring of us when it comes to our mouths. Chapter four, verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Think about this. If our tongue is so powerful, if our tongue reveals what's going on in our heart and you and I are called to reflect the very image of God to those around us, our words bring grace. Undeserved favor. <laughs> Like it's not deserved. God is so gracious and kind to us and loves us and care for us because we do so good usually, you know? That's not, that's not how the gospel works. That's not grace, it's we fall short. We look at Proverbs, we look at Ephesians and say, like Isaiah, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. I can't say that my tongue brings life to those around me all the time. That's JJ. <laughs> I want to speak to someone how they deserve. And sometimes I feel good when I just hide it. And he's saying, I want you, God is saying, I want you to refuse your tongue that is naturally set on fire by hell. I want to use your tongue to reflect my image where I give you joy and peace and love and kindness that you don't deserve. I want your tongue to give life because it says things and has words that reflect kindness, love, and care that people don't deserve. That's what we're called to do. That is a high calling. That's a problem. We'll jump back into James. The tongue's problem is Kind of twofold. Everything that Proverbs and Ephesians just communicated to us kind of, to me, hammers the point that it can't be tamed. It can't be tamed. Like, that's a high calling. But James points out that it's also a hypocrite. Look at verse nine, James chapter three. He says, with it, we bless our Lord and Father and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. 
We bless our Lord and Father. I heard you guys singing this morning. It was encouraging to me. And that's wonderful. And we should praise his name. He deserves it. It's good for us to just operate how we ought to be. But how many of us on the drive here curse someone made in his image? Maybe on the walk here, you were about to get ran over. So it comes out, I'm on my bike and someone does something. I'm like, you know, like what's in my mind is honoring a Lord in that moment. But that's a hypocrite. Like each of you has value. Each of you is unique. Each of you reflects the glory and image of God like nothing else in creation. We can talk about, I mean, these, some of these paintings are awesome. They're a lot more expensive this time around too. <laughs> They're beautiful. They're great. I mean, this, all the colors, it's pretty. It's showing us the character of God and you reflect that more than anything else. Even broken and fallen in our sin nature, which is as is, is ugly as it is, we display more of the nature of God and who we are as image bearers than anything else. And yet how quick do we curse someone who deserves it? Our make us hypocrites. The tongue is powerful. <laughs> Big time, big time. The tongue is also big time problematic. <laughs> so what do we do with that? How do you and I as believers, as Christians, make sense of that? What, are, what is God calling us to just like despair of ever being able to speak properly or, or bridle our whole body? There's a real sense with the answer to that question is Yes. <laughs> You should despair because in and of yourself, you are unable to tame your tongue. You're unable to tame your tongue because the problem is the tongue's point of origin. The problem is the tongue's point of origin. Like what is it connected to? Look at what James says. Verse 11, does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? In uh, South Texas, we had an uh, aquifer and there was water coming from the ground that fed the Frio River and some other rivers too. But there, I remember as a kid, you would find one, like, you know, you'd be camping and then like there'd be a little stream going to the river and you kind of trace it back and you'd find this like hole in the ground with the crystal clear water just like coming out of the ground. It was colder too. And in Texas, you were like, thank you because it's like a bajillion degrees outside. And so you get into that and you would, as a kid, I would drink it. Just, it's it beautiful, it's clear. Coming out of the ground. Never once did it change to salt. It, clear, cool water came out of the ground because clear, cool water was in the ground. Like that's the point that James is making. Can a frig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce frigs? Neither can the salt pond yield fresh water. What it is determines what it produces. And I want to flip back to Matthew where we started this off because I think Jesus makes the exact same point 
in a way that's a little bit easier to follow. Go back to Matthew chapter 12 and verse 35. He says, the good person out of his good treasure brings forth good and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. Here is why we, we trace the point of origin of the tongue. Here's why we can't tame the tongue. You don't have a tongue problem. You have a heart problem. You don't have a tongue problem. You have a heart problem. You can't change that part of you on your own. You can't tame the tongue because you can no more tame the tongue than you can take the spiritual center of who you are, your being, your innermost place. You can like take it out and look at it or affect it or do anything with it. The beauty of the gospel, the thing that's amazing that even James talks about Christ, the the Lord of glory, the the wonderful thing about the man who's ruling and reigning is is he's sitting on the throne and tells his disciples, I need to go there so I can pour out my spirit who can dwell in you to begin to change and transform and to shape and to mold and to tame your tongue, to fix your heart problem. Second person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit that has to step in, dwell in us to tame the tongue. It might be set on fire by hell, but the gates of hell cannot stand against what Jesus is doing in our hearts and in the world around us. He's working to transform our hearts so that we can read the proverb and say, look what God did. He made me a fountain of life to others. Instead of spitting venom, he's made me a fountain of life to others. That's what he's capable of. That's how powerful he is. So how do we experience that? How can we see God fix the heart problem able to deal with our tongue problem? And I want to leave you with just three things and we'll end with this because I, I want to encourage you and tell you that there's, there's scriptures communicating to us our problems so that we go to the Lord and see things change and transformed and to, to see him genuinely at work, to see him actually changing what's in here so that our speech brings life to those around us. First, we have to start with examining our heart. We have to that it's not the circumstances around us. Jesus was in some pretty terrible circumstances, but his speech was life always. We have to examine our hearts. We have to stop and say, why do I say these things? Why do I feel this way? Why do I hate this person? And and I, the first answer is never the answer. (laughs) What are the, we can, you can look at, I, I t- uh, one of the things I like is like the five whys, you know, I think Toyota is famous for that. 
sit down or ask your spouse. That's a careful if you ask your spouse or any of your friends why about things because it'll bring stuff out that is difficult to wrestle with because we're trying to get to our heart. Examine your heart. Take some time. Why do I respond this way in these circumstances? There's a good chance that if you are not a fountain of life to others, what maybe you're holding back, maybe your temptation is more like me to say things you want to put your foot in your mouth later. You probably do that in more situations than one. Have you ever just thought about the situations that cause you to speak and think a certain way? Like stop and examine your heart. What is it? What's really going on in there? Number two, examine your heart. Do the work. There's good proverbs about that. Number two is remember the gospel. Start with the reality that Jesus had to die for you. He's not unaware of the ugly things you're surfacing. He's fully aware of what's down there. More than any of us. There was a guy that I read was talking, he's like, if if God were to reveal the wickedness that is going on deep down in our hearts, if he were to somehow make that manifest to us and show us that publicly, all of us would cry out for justice for us to be destroyed. He knows that and died for us. Yet while we were his enemies, cursing him in our hearts, he died for us. That's the good news. You're not, you gotta, if you're examining your heart, you have to remember the gospel. You not, you're not in a good relationship with God because you handled your mouth so well the week before and all of a sudden now you're, you're fumbling. You're in a good relationship with God because of what the son has done. I think another thing to remember is you're remembering the gospel. It's not just that relationship that you have with God. It's like the true things that God has told you, the good news, true things. How many times do we want to speak because that person deserves it. Do you really believe that we worship a just God who will make all things right? Do you want to step in and make things right? That's a good news to us. Like we have a just God. No one is going to get away with anything. It'll either be taken out on Christ or taking him out on the one who's rejected him. God doesn't need our help to bring his wrath. He calls our words to bring grace. But we have to remember that. We have to remember that we have a just God. We have to remember that he's working things out for our good. I think some of us don't realize that the good news is that when we mouth off and it reveals something wicked about our heart, that's actually the spirit working to convict us of sin. That's a wonderful thing. It's good news. It's the gospel that we recognize that we fall short. (laughs) That's evidence of the spirit working in you to transform you, to change you, and to make your mouth bring life to those around you. That should be encouraging to you. That's good news. And then finally, examine your heart, remember the gospel, plead with the spirit. Plead with the spirit. Pray. It's powerful. It is God's will. I can tell you this confidently. I know for a fact that God wants you to be more like Jesus. 
And when we pray, asking for wisdom to be transformed, James says we should do that with confidence. As we examine our heart, as we remember the gospel, and as we go to the Lord and say, please change me, you're the only one that can fix my heart problem that shows up as a mouth problem. He'll do that. He will answer that prayer. Let's ask him for that help right now. (laughs) Father, I thank you so much that you are a gracious and good father. Lord, you have given us your son. The only man to walk the earth whose speech honored you every moment of every day. Lord, and more amazingly, not just the things that came out of his mouth, but he never held back wickedness in his heart because it wasn't there. And yet he took our punishment on the cross, Lord, because you love us and we didn't deserve it. Lord, I pray that, God, just help us be a people known for speaking to others in a way they don't deserve. Lord, there's no greater way to reflect your image and your glory and your goodness than to give people what they don't deserve. That looks like you, and that's what we want. Help help us with that. And give us humility when uh, we recognize that we don't do it that way. Lord, give us grace for others who maybe are wrestling with this, Lord. Give us just uh, compassion. Give us an open heart to say, this is where I need your help, Lord. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for a chance to be convicted by your spirit and encouraged by your son. In your name I pray, amen.